I say the three time, money and experience. There's other things too, but those are the three examples I always use. And if you're missing time, for example, then find a partner, go out and find someone who has whatever you're missing to get started. And I think someone who takes the time to actually figure out if they have what it takes to do real estate and if they think they're missing something, takes the time to reach out to a partner and find a partner is really important. I'm Neil. And I'm Brittany. We are a family on a journey towards financial and location independence. Each week, we interview successful real estate entrepreneurs about their chosen investment strategy and rate it based on how much money it took to get started, how long it took to educate themselves, how passive it is, and whether or not they could do it from anywhere in the world. Welcome to the Road to Family Freedom. If you like our show, the easiest way for you to give back is to leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Head on over to roadtofamilyfreedom.com slash review for links and instructions on how to do that. We would be so grateful. All right, enough out of us. Let's hit the road to family freedom. Hey guys, Neil here. Uh, Before we get to this week's show, I want to make you an offer. You can do a video chat with me. It's completely free. There's no pitch. This is not a sales pitch. I don't have any kind of a mentoring program. I'm not selling anything. This is literally just a way for me to connect with other real estate investors and being a working, a working dad with a, a son at home. This is much easier for me to do than trying to go to a couple of real estate meetups a week. So again, if you're interested, anything you want to talk about, if you're an experienced investor, a brand new investor, we can talk about anything and everything you want to talk about with uh, real estate investing. Just go to roadtofamilyfreedom.com slash connect and uh, fill out the form there to schedule a call. And I look forward to speaking with you. So let's get to the show. Greetings, friends and families. I'm Neil. You're listening to the Road to Family Freedom podcast. I'm flying solo this week as Brittany is out of town, but we have a fantastic guest. Uh, our guest this week is the wife of a dairy farmer. Uh, she's a mom to three boys, help and helper, and a full-time real estate investor. Uh, and she runs the educational and entertaining Wealth from Rentals account on Instagram. Uh, be sure to check out her burr cheer. It is not to be missed. Ashley Kerr, welcome to the Road to Family Freedom. Thank you very much. And that was quite the introduction. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was I was looking through Wealth of Rentals and I was like, oh my God, this is fantastic. <laughs> well, I'm well, glad you, you enjoyed it. Yes, it was great. It was great. Okay. So you can you talk to us a little bit about sort of what the aha moment for you was when it comes to real estate, where you were like, yeah, I think this is what I want to do. So I started working uh, as a property manager part time. I managed a 40 unit apartment complex and I just saw the investor I was working for, you know, he had residential commercial units and I saw how it was pretty much passive for him and, you know, the cash flow that he was making each month. And I approached his son and I'm like, why can't we do this? You know? So that was kind of the aha moment as I like actually was in the business and saw the financials and saw what it took to buy real estate. And I did um, a lot of refinancing with him. So I saw like the power of using leverage and just the, all those things combined was really the aha moment. But, you know, being the boots on the ground really helped me learn that this was the path that I wanted to go. Gotcha. Did you own any other rental property uh, before you started working, working as a property manager? 
No, no, I hadn't. I had no experience. I was, I graduated from college with a dual degree, dual degree in finance and public accounting and lasted six months at a CPA firm before I quit. And I was just going to be a stay-at-home mom on the farm. And then I uh, received this opportunity and I said yes. And it went from 20 hours a week to 50 hours a yeah. week. But it was a great learning experience for sure. Gotcha. And then how long after you started working as a property manager, did you buy your first property? Two years in. So I managed a 40-unit apartment complex and some commercial units for two years. And then I took on another 40 units. Um, so it was a total of 80 units um, by the end of two years. And that's when I decided to purchase my first duplex. Gotcha. And let's, let's because we, we always love to start off with people's first deal and kind of talk about how they got into that deal. Give us the numbers on that. Sure. So I used my boss's son as my partner and he had the money and I had the experience. So made a good partnership like that. He would be completely passive and I would manage and take care of everything. So the first property we purchased for $74,000, we had to do some cosmetic updates in one apartment. We ended up renting it out for um, each unit $600 a month. And what we did from there was we then put a, uh, we refinanced, did a cash out refi and took that money to uh, buy another duplex. And so we kind of did the Burr strategy, buy, rehab, rent, refinance, repeat. But we just did cosmetic rehabs at first, you know, nothing big, just maybe new cabinets or vinyl plank flooring, little little things like that, paint. And um, so we did that for about three duplexes and started to look for bigger stuff. Gotcha. And then, so you're, you're all in for 74 or more like, let's say 85. We put in five grand in for, uh, updates and stuff gotcha. like that. And then, and then what, we actually, we held it for five years and we just sold it this past winter for, um, 105,000. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, yeah. Okay. So you're able to, when you did the cash out refi, were you able to pull out all of your original capital or just most of it? All of the original. We bought the second one. And then we actually did it, transferred it into a portfolio loan with the second one and used um, the equity in both of those to buy the third property. Gotcha. And with, with any of your burrs, because that's primarily what you're doing is all almost all burrs, correct? Yes. Yeah. And then have you ever ha- ended up with having to leave money into a burr at all? Or have you pretty much yeah, always Yeah, there been- was um, a six unit. It was three duplexes on one lot. And um, we actually did owner financing on it and he, we paid 30 grand down and then he held uh, the remaining for a year and we paid interest only payments on that. And when we refinanced, we actually got out just enough to pay him off. So we didn't get that 30 grand back, which is, which is fine. Yeah. (laughs) But um, we're, at least we had enough to pay him back. So. Yeah. And that's the thing, you know, we, we have, we've done a couple of burrs now and you know, there are part of it is just experience. And you know, it's also that just real estate's not real estate in the real world is a little different from spreadsheet real estate. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, but even, you know, if you end up with a little bit of money left in the deal, it's still, you got, what thirty thousand dollars in equity, and you've got eight thousand dollars in the deal, and it's cash flowing asset, and you know, right. you just turn yeah. around and do it all over again. It's just really yeah. Right. So we didn't get to like pull out as much as we wanted, but now we're making more cash flow because our you know our mortgage payment isn't as high because yeah. we didn't take as much money. So gotcha. well, and I, that way. <laughs> I love I love what you did with that. You 
and I don't, I don't know whether this is intentional or not, but you worked for two years in the business before you actually went out and tried to do it. I don't know whether that was intentional or not, but it's something that I always encourage people almost with any profession, you know, before you go out and like really try to make a career out of it, get a job doing it or with somebody as an intern and find out if it's something you like. And if it's not, then, you know, you've made some money and, and, you know, you've spent some time figuring out what you don't want to do. Yeah. I 100% agree with that. Mine was not intentional at all. I, I got lucky <laughs> say to have this opportunity, but I, I tell people all the time, if you want to get started in real estate, you know, you can, there's actually a person that followed me on Instagram and she actually lives kind of close to me. We've met at a couple meetups. She quit her IT job and now is a maintenance coordinator at a property management company because she wants to get into real estate. And I just think that is so awesome. Yeah. But um, I mean, there's so many entry level positions within real estate that it's easy to get into that kind of career field, you know, yeah. a realtor, or, you know, a maintenance tech, a maintenance coordinator, a leasing agent, you can do that uh, as a side job on Sundays. So yep. yeah, I agree. Either getting a job in real estate or a uh, house hacking or Yep. To the best ways to get started. Yeah. That's how Brittany and I got started was with, with a house hack. So. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. cool. Yeah. yeah. I'm jealous. I yeah. had to live through my sister. I made her house I hack. know. I've heard the story of your... No. Okay. So so you have never done a house hack, but I, I love this story of what you did for your, what, 21-year-old sister? Yes. All right. Yes. So tell, so us, tell us that story. Okay. When she graduated college, she accepted... Uh, she had a... She had accepted a job, but it wouldn't start for about two months. And it was a part-time position as a radiologist technician. So with just her letter saying that, you know, she had a job coming, she was able to get an FHA loan. And we together purchased a duplex for $134,000. So my part of it was I gave her the down payment. I gifted her that money and we became 50-50 on the deed. So we both own the house but she, her, the FHA mortgage is in her name only. So she benefited because she's living in the upstairs unit right now. The people who live downstairs are paying her mortgage completely. And my sister's living there for free. Yeah. And then I benefited because I can't buy a house for only 3% down so, or three and a half percent down. So it's kind of a, a long-term gain for me because I'm building equity in the house as the tenants paint down and it's an appreciating yep. area and my sister is getting to live for free. So it's benefiting her also. And she's not, and she's also building equity. Yeah. So it's a, a little different strategy that we tried to do where it benefits both of us. So. Yeah. And you said, I've heard you say that she's, she may do it all over again in another year. Yeah. Yeah. So she had to live in the house for a year and that year is up. So she's been looking and now we are trying to look at financing options. Do we, you know, switch the first house into conventional, get her another FHA loan or do we just do this one conventional? So yeah, we've been running numbers on different houses for that, but she's all over the place where she wants to live next. Yeah. So we're trying yeah. to focus on that first. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's, it's a strategy. I have a lot of young cousins who are now in their early twenties and a lot of mm -hmm. them live in really, really expensive markets. And I keep trying to tell them, okay, like expand your horizons. Don't stop looking. You're living in, if you want to stay in an expensive area, you're probably not going to be able to buy a house for just you. It's just not right, going to happen. Right. I'm sorry. Yeah. So look at ways to, can you buy a three bedroom, four bedroom house and, and rent out the rooms? And a lot of them go, well, I don't, I don't want roommates. And it's like, 
Okay. Yeah. Well, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that is so great. I have a friend in Denver and one in Nashville that both do rent out by the rooms and those are both expensive markets and they've done very well with that. And Brittany and I have done a very non-traditional house hack in that we actually rent out a guest house at the front of our property on as a short-term rental. Oh, cool. And so, and it's been phenomenal. I mean, it's what got us into real estate. Right. It pays our mortgage plus on a very expensive property. So it's another avenue that you can look at. It doesn't just Mm -hmm. need to be a long-term rental. If you've got an auxiliary dwelling unit on your property, or if you live out in the country and you've got, you want to put a tiny house on there, look at the local laws. Obviously, you know, a lot of of, uh, municipalities are not so friendly to short-term rentals, but it's a, it's a great option. So I'm curious when you bought your property, was that already there? And did you know it that was, you wanted to do that? It was already there. We had yeah. no idea that was where, what we were going to do. Yeah. <laughs> it was uh, originally, I envisioned it, it was going to be my man cave. Yeah. <laughs> and that idea died within about two hours of us buying the property. Right, right. And then we actually set it up as just a really nice uh, place, mainly for my in-laws to come and stay. Mm-hmm. And we appointed it. It doesn't have a kitchen or laundry facilities, so it's not really, doesn't, doesn't really work as a long-term rental. And right. what we set it up very nicely as like, as like a little hotel room. And yeah. then my mom, probably six years or so ago, brought me this article and she says, have you ever heard of this thing called Airbnb? She <laughs> says, maybe you could stick your, your, your casita up on Airbnb. And, yeah. and I was like, all right, sure. So we took some pictures of it and stuck it up there. And we were, we were 80% occupied within two months. Wow, and, that is awesome. Been, so you need to give your mom a 10% commission I, now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Mom, mom has been great. She's actually even uh, wants to invest on some of our deals with us. So my mom is That's been great awesome. That's really cool. Yeah, so, so that first deal for you, you actually came in with it with zero money down, correct? I just want to make sure I understand correct. that. Yeah. Okay. So, so you, brought, you brought the it's experience. It's been a while yeah. since I used my own, or when I first started out, I didn't use any of my own money. And then um, when I took on my second partner, we put in money 50-50 on a deal. And now I've been using a line of credit to purchase everything and then um, refinance and just pay the line of credit off. Gotcha. And for maybe some of our our listeners who are maybe new to this about how lines of credits work and how you use them to buy real estate, can you sort of talk to us about how you make use of that line of credit? Sure. So we live on a dairy farm and um, there's three houses on the property. One uh, was my husband's grandparents' house and that's where we actually used to live. And then we built our own house. So we moved to our, our new house. We did, we it, the house was paid off, the farm one. And we put a commercial mortgage line of credit on it. So it acts just like a, a home equity line of credit would where you can pull off it at any time. There's a certain amount you can pull off and you pay interest-only payments on it. So ours acts like that, but we had to file it as a mortgage. So we had to pay mortgage tax on it. And this was just to get away. Most banks will only give you the line of credit on your primary residence. So this was how our bank went around that and did the commercial mortgage line of credit. Gotcha. So anytime I'm purchasing a property, I'll say the property is $70,000. I'll pull off $70,000 off the line of credit I make interest-only payments until I refinance on that property and pay the line of credit back off in full and then start over again. 
Gotcha. That's exactly what Brittany and I are doing with our HELOC. Yeah. We, yeah. we buy, a, buy a property for 60, you know, there's 35 in rehab costs and the ARV mm-hmm. is, you know, 130. You go and you go to the bank and say, hey, I've got a property worth 130. I'd like to get a long-term mortgage on it. You turn around, pay it off and do it all over right. again. Yeah. Yeah. That love it. Wash love it. cycle. <laughs> yeah. 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 So... You've used a lot of partners on, have you pretty much used a partner on almost every property you've bought now? No. Well, I started out with one partner and we did a lot of deals together. And then I took on a second partner where um, we have a duplex and a triplex together. The duplex we did together was a no money into it deal. We used a, actually an unsecured loan from the bank. So there was no collateral or anything. And that's use that loan to actually purchase, make a cash offer, purchase on a, a property. And then as soon as we closed, we refinanced and it appraised for a lot more than um, we purchased it for. So we were able to even put some money into our pocket on that deal. And then we bought a triplex together and we each put in uh, cash for that ourselves. So just kind of nice um, having something you know that's free and clear, I guess. So we did yeah. put money into that. And then I have a duplex with my brother that I bought for like $20,000. And uh, for Christmas, I gifted him 25% of that house uh, one year for Christmas. So I'm partners with him. And then um, I'm partners with my sister on her house. Gotcha. And then um, I have several duplexes on my own too. So as somebody who has not yet done any partnerships on single family homes, residential real estate. How, how do you structure, how have you structured those deals and those operating agreements? So the first partner, we created an LLC together and we put in the operating agreement, um, which anyone can get one of those from an attorney. And I actually filled in like specifics. So like I am responsible for the management. I control the money. I make the decisions. My partner is the money guy. He actually, we wrote in any money he put into the LLC, he would be paid back with a loan payable. So each month he's receiving principal and interest payments from um, the LLC for money he's put into the deal. And then we're both 50-50 equity partners in the LLC. Gotcha. So, And then we also have a buy-sell agreement. So like if one of us wants to sell, gives the other one the opportunity to buy. And then we also have uh, life insurance policies on each other. The LLC is um, the beneficiary of those life insurance policies. So if my partner was to pass away, proceeds would be um, used for me to buy his family out so that I would then become 100% owner and vice versa. He has the same on me. So there's no, I don't have to worry about, you know, running the LLC with his family and he doesn't have to worry about doing it with mine. So that's something I always recommend that everyone does is get the life insurance policies because you might be in a position where you can't afford to buy the family out and then they can sell to someone else or you're forced to be partners with them. And do you recall about how much that cost you to set all that up? So for the LLC in New York state, it's a, like a $200 filing fee, maybe another hundred dollars in publication fees. And then um, for the operating agreement, I don't, I don't think that was more than a hundred dollars for the attorney to do. She just has a 
a draft of it and she's actually sent it to me. So now any LLC I create, I just fill in the blanks, send it to her. Okay, it looks good. And, you know, done. So if your attorney will do that, that will save you a lot of money. And that's great too. And then for the life insurance policies, they're about, you know, 90 bucks a year for each of us. So. Yeah. And are you both about the same age? Yeah, he's um, yeah. two years older than me. Yeah, I wonder so. how that would work with someone who is a little bit older or if it's, if there's a, cause I'm familiar with the key principle, like life insurance that sometimes they'll do that where they've got somebody, you know, in a business. Right. The yeah. In the business. So, yeah. But, no, that's great. So your portfolio is up to 32 units now, or is it more than that? Nope. It's 32. All are residential except for two are commercial units. I recently bought a four unit building with two residential upstairs and two commercial downstairs. Gotcha. And you self-manage it. God love you. Actually, not anymore. Oh, congratulations. (laughs) February 1st, I handed everything over to a local property management company. Wow. It was very hard to let go of control. (laughs) I bet. I bet. It's been really nice. We're still like getting a lot of stuff switched over because I've still been working for that other investor managing his 80 units too. So I wanted to kind of get out of that and focus on more of my stuff and So I got him introduced to his property management company. I just love them so much. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to give them my units too. And um, so it's it was like kind of sad, but it's working out great so far. Oh, well, that's good. Well, I, I wish you luck. We, um, Thank you. we have property management on all of ours, mainly just because they're all the way across the country. Yeah. So yeah. we didn't, didn't have the option. But so, well, that just like throws so much of that. However... You you did DIY management up until February 1st. So Yeah, so I created two property management companies, one for myself and one for the guy that I was working for. And I mean, when I first started working for him, there was files and boxes and like a a spreadsheet where you'd put physical check marks if the person paid or not. Oh wow. Yeah. That and, came a long way. Yeah, and now and so when you were, let's look back a little bit because I want to I want to yeah. lay this out for people who maybe want to do, you know, their own property management. Right, what right. did the day in the life of a full time property manager look like for you? Okay, yeah, that, that's an interesting question. I'll give you like when I first started, and then what it was like, yeah. you know, kind of the last days how different it was. But when I first started, I worked in a, a little tiny office in the one apartment complex, and my, my time was flexible. Like, it's not like I needed to be there nine to five every day, which was really nice about being a property manager because you're on call a lot. I had to carry two phones. I had a cell phone that was just for the tenants to call and I would take every single call. I never missed a call and it's, it got very overwhelming and very stressful just trying to be available 24 seven trying to schedule maintenance people by myself with just, you know, the resident calling me and me, you know, having to stop whatever I was doing and call, you know, a technician or a plumber, whatever. And then, so I started looking into, I got pregnant with my second son and I wanted to take a maternity leave that was somewhat less stressful. So in the, the seven years I did this, I never had anyone that would like cover me, I guess. So I always was the manager. And um, I started looking into property management software. And that's just when everything became so much better. (laughs) So I actually started using Appfolio for the investor I was working for and then Buildium for myself. 
And so tenants started paying online. I wasn't, and I mean, 80 checks just for the other investor entering 80 checks every month was, you know, a very time consuming. So I'm paying online and then that would automatically enter it into the bookkeeping. All my payables started using bill pay through the software. Maintenance requests were each of the tenants had apps. They could put their maintenance request in through the app and it would get sent. An email would get sent right to the, the maintenance guy. You could text from the software. They could sign leasing um, agreements electronically and it just really streamlined everything and made it easier. And then I took on, um, I had uh, my boss's daughter actually start working with me and she would scan all the tables in and scan all the documents in for each tenant. And that really made us paperless too. So as I'm on the go, I can just, I can look at my phone and pull up information or respond to something all through my phone. And that was kind of my big goal is to make it so it was remote. And I, and I did that. I accomplished that. <laughs> and then when I had the opportunity to take over the have property management company take over everything. I, I decided to do that. Yeah. And were they already, obviously they were already familiar with the systems that you were already using, correct? Yeah. So they actually had the same property management software buildium that I did. So gotcha. that made mine an easy transition gotcha. over to theirs. Yeah. yeah. My, I come from a family. My father was a landlord back in the eighties, a really frustrated landlord yeah. primarily because he got into it because back in the early eighties, you could shelter a lot of your W2 income with real estate until mm-hmm. I think there was a law, a tax law passed in like 1986 that totally changed it. And he was, he'll by his own admission, he was a really terrible landlord. Uh, yeah. you know, just, you know, uh, and the last straw for him was he had a, um, a guy who was kind of a low level mobster here in Las Vegas who was, uh, who always paid in cash always paid late. My dad was always having to chase him for the rent. Yeah. And then eventually like his wife left him and then he just stopped paying altogether. And then finally, you know, it took my dad, you know, my dad's nice and, you know, went probably let him not pay rent one month and then, you know, and took him another month to get him out. And and then my dad was like, no more, no more. So nowadays it's so much better. Like I, I can already tell that somebody who, you know, who takes up property management nowadays has so many, so many systems available to them. How did you convince, cause a lot of old school tenants will maybe not be so up for switching from checks to online payment. How did you incentivize them to, to make that switch? We, we did have some that never made the switch. Like they still sent checks in, which was fine, but to get them to switch over, we actually at Folio, the software has a customer conference every year. So myself and the investor's daughter actually went to that the last two years and they do a great job at like giving you ideas to incentivize people. So we did like giveaways. So sign if you sign up this month for electronic payment, you can win an iPad or, you know, a book or whatever, you know, a $50 gift card to Amazon, like the prices varied, but we had a lot of people sign up for that. And then once we had completely switched over to like the software, anybody that moved in had to, it was mandatory. So we still have people have lived there for 10 years that still mailed the checks in, but those are the two things that helped was incentivizing and then um, having people that knew people move in, making it mandatory for them to pay online. I love that idea. It's, you know, 
you know, you don't, it's going to cost you what at most you had a $500 iPad and you know, right. you only bought one of them and you make it a contest and, and they get an entry and it's a great idea. I love it. Yeah. And to save time, not having to, you know, open by the time you go get the mail, open that envelope, enter it in, go to the bank, deposit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you, I've heard you talk about how you have your kids helping you look for properties. Can you talk to us a little bit about how you, how you employ your children to help you look for properties? Sure. <laughs> so my kids, my kids are trained to look at how many meters are on a house. Cause I, I really love multifamily. So they're trained when we're driving around, they're trained to look, Oh, there's two, there's three. <laughs> and so look for the gas or electric meter. And the one time my son even said, mom, we should buy that house. And it does, it looks really old. Let's make it. nice." <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, I've had, and now that I'm not really doing property management, they won't be as much involved, but they, a lot of times I would do my own cleanings and they would come with me and, you know, dust or sweep or yeah. whatever. But now I'm working on rehabbing a commercial unit and, um, they actually helped me install the, the vinyl plank flooring. Every time I needed a, a, a new piece, they would drag it over and oh, set it in great. place. That's great. That's so, great. So how, so now you've got property management off your plate. What, what's next? So in the commercial building that I'm rehabbing, um, I'm rehabbing one commercial unit and then the other unit I have a coffee shop going to, I think, and they are going to, uh, do the rehab themselves on their unit. And then the upstairs, there's a two bedroom, uh, which a, ten a tenant is in there now and she wants to stay. And then I completely gutted the one bedroom apartment. So I'm working on those right now. And then in the commercial unit downstairs, my one partner and I are actually opening a liquor store in the building. So Very be good. interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do are you having to deal with like liquor licenses and things like that? I don't yeah. Know so like in New York state, it can take at least six months. Yeah. So we started the process in November, I believe, and um, we're still waiting but it gives us time to rehab it and yeah. make the unit nice. And do you think you're going to, are you going to continue buying residential real estate or are you going to pause for a little while? I'm actually looking into out of state. New York property taxes are really high and yeah. I don't like you can buy a duplex here for 20 grand, 40 grand. You know, the, the barrier of entry is very low, but every year you're paying on that $20,000 duplex, you're paying $2,500 in taxes. Wow. So I want to look for, you know, even if I'm paying a hundred thousand for a duplex out of state, but only paying, you know, 800 a year in taxes, yeah. because I can always pay it once I pay that hundred grand off, that's gone. But up here, there's still that $2,500 yep, of taxes yep, forever, here. forever. Yeah. Uh, are any of your properties paid off or are they all, do you have leverage on all of them? I had some of them paid off. Um, one with a partner one with my brother and then the um, commercial property I just bought is gotcha. paid off too. Gotcha. How, when you were, when you had a, a greater deal flow, what was your deal flow like? How, how did you go about looking for properties? So I found a lot on the MLS is pr pretty much 50% MLS and the other 50 word of mouth. Um, I bought two duplexes uh, from friends that were selling. I've sold three duplexes and only and two of them were to friends and the other one was on the MLS I sold, but mostly word of mouth is 
people say, oh, well, I know you invest. Are you interested in looking at my friend's property or this person selling that? And I actually bought 13 units from one investor. Oh, wow. That was like how I built a lot of my portfolio. Gotcha. And what, what, you know, I've never really found out what period of time are you talking about? How, how long is it taking you to build this portfolio? Uh, it's been five years. My, I purchased my first one in 2014, the gotcha. winter or end of 2014. Yeah. Gotcha. So what has been the most hair pulling, frustrating moment for you when it comes to being a residential real estate investor, would you say? One of the reasons that I decided to switch out of property management was the disputes between tenants. (laughs) I felt very much like their mom, but that was just like the worst part for me was the like recently was I just seemed like I had a lot of tenants fighting over, you know, who parking spots or one lady would, you know, call and leave me a message at 1am saying that the kid next door was coughing too loud and she could hear it through her wall. And, you know, and I just, I got really aggravated by that. But when I first started out, I would have to say that it was frustrating because you rely on um, maintenance people a lot if you're not, and I wasn't doing any of the maintenance myself. So it was really frustrating to me because I wanted to be the best property manager that I could I wanted the residents to be happy. I wanted to, you know, make the investor money, but it, I felt really bad and upset sometimes when people would, you know, get frustrated and mad at me because the this maintenance issue wasn't resolved correctly or I couldn't get the plumber to come there right away or something, you know, things that I didn't have direct control over. Mm-hmm. That was really hard on me in the beginning. Gotcha. You know, I've some of my more experienced real estate investor friends that sort of eschew small multifamily, that's the exact complaint that they make is that when mm-hmm. they've had a duplex, triplex, or fourplex, they feel like they're babysitting the tenants who are always at each yeah. other's throats. Right. You know? Right. Whereas if you've got a single family home, you're probably not going to have as big a problem with that. But um, Right, exactly. You know, so that's the trade off. If you're thinking if you're everything even this- in the like the big commercial like the two forty unit apartment complexes, like I think a lot of the mindset there is you have lots of neighbors. You don't have control over yeah. it. Where you're right in the duplex, triplex, they yeah. think more it's gonna be more single family, but it's not. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. So, you know, one of the questions we always, a big thing for us is we always ask people whether or not they could do their strategy from anywhere in the world once it's up and running. Now you have now very definitely, you've handed off your property management to someone else is how long do you think you could leave your portfolio without having to be in the area? Right now I couldn't because I'm helping with rehab. But before I bought this this building, I could have been gone for a long time without even with still doing the property management. I, I everything was set to be done remotely. So the, I mean that was very nice. But even if I did travel or go away, I would have to uh, still answer the phone. I'd still have to check the app. I'd still have to respond to email. So it's not like I could go away and disconnect. I still had to be connected all the time. So I think that's very different. Like, yes, I could work remotely and for a very long time, but I still had to work constantly yeah. um, to take care of those things. So that was a big reason for me to give up the property management. I built it to where I wanted it. I enjoyed traveling a lot the past year, but now I want to 
enjoy traveling without my phone. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, it, once this rehab is done, if I don't take on another rehab project, because I'm using this rehab to like learn how to do things, I want to um, be more aware of construction so I can take on bigger rehabs and not do them myself, but make sure when I hire it out that that person is doing it correctly. Yes. Yeah, no, I, I, it's so important that you, that's one of the things about doing this stuff by yourself is you know how long it takes, you know mm-hmm. what's into it. So when you ask a contractor to do it for you and they quote you, oh, $35,000, you go, no, that's not going to be, you know, yeah, you yeah. Got, got materials and labors. There's no way it costs that much, you know? So no, that's great. Now you're, you are, a, you're a big travel hacker. I know that. And Brittany, yeah. I love, Brittany, I love travel hacking. Talk to us about sort of how you got into that. And if there's any strategies you've used to sort of build those miles with your real estate business at all. Okay. Yeah. I don't remember exactly how I learned about travel hacking. I think it must have been something on Instagram I saw. And then I, did a lot of research on the pointsguide.com um, and different websites like that. Like Choose FI has, I think, like the Chase Gauntlet, maybe yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. a series, something like that. And so I just started doing a lot of research. And I think that Chase Sapphire was my first card that I tried out. But now what I do is I don't really use, well, I, oh, so I have a bunch of LLCs for my real estate business. I have LLCs with each partner. So I open business credit cards within those LLCs. So that has helped a lot, like being able to open a lot of cards because of those LLCs. So about every couple months now, I'll open a new card in one of the LLCs. And I can, with us doing the rehab, we have a lot of expenses for that right now. Yeah. And then for my husband's dairy farm, we have over a hundred cows and they eat a lot. So we have a grain bill that ranges between six to $9,000 a month. Wow. And so about a year ago, I said, you know, you should ask them if they take credit card and they do. So every couple months, I'll open a new card and he'll uh, put the grain bill on the card and we'll pay it right off. And so that's how we've gotten a lot of our points is doing the sign up bonuses and then putting, you know, one large expense on it that we would have anyways. Um, You know, we're not out there looking for expenses just to get those points. Yeah. You know, it, it, um, that's the thing I try and remind people is one, keep it simple. It's keep, you know, there's some of, some of my travel hacker friends are a little crazy, Uh, but for me, I just try and keep it as simple as possible. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, listen, I'm, I'm spending this money anyway, Right. I might as well get some rewards for it. I pay I pay the credit card off in full every month as it is. Right. So and that's so important very that you important. have no, to have that. Yeah, don't you know, do it. You have to be able to do that. Yeah, I have a very sad story about a property manager that I met at a travel hacking conference who um, he managed, he was a property manager for HOAs and he had something like 2,000 units that he managed. Wow. And he paid his entire maintenance bill every month on his Amex Platinum. And wow. and he said, me and my wife go around the world in first class four times a year on that. Until one day, his bookkeeper said, you know, we've got all of our maintenance costs go through the same maintenance company, but they're all in different bills for each property. Why don't we consolidate them into one bill and it will make it so much easier? And he went, oh, God, that's a great idea. Well, a month later, the owner of the maintenance company called and said, yeah, you can't pay with a credit card anymore. 
because before he oh, didn't no. before he didn't notice right. it was you know 12 because he was 12, paying all the different bills yeah, all the different how, bills but once it was one big bill he's like yeah we're not doing that, that anymore that service so. fee oh my god <laughs> so wow. yeah all right so back to real estate investing what do you believe is the most critical skill for someone who wants to get into let's call it burr investing with small multifamily needs to develop in themselves to be successful? I think the first thing is to develop what skill you have that is drawing you to real estate investing. You know, do you, you're good with money or you have money or you have time to invest in real estate or you have, you know, knowledge and you want to grow that knowledge, whatever. Like develop what you, why you think you would be good at real estate investing. And then if you if you have everything, you have time. I say the three: time, money, and experience. There's other things too, but those yep. are the three examples I always use. And if you're missing time, for example, then find a partner, go out and find someone who has whatever you're missing to get started. And I think someone who takes the time to actually figure out if they have what it takes to do real estate, and if they think they're missing something, takes the time to reach out to a partner and find a partner is really important. Because a lot of people get stuck with, oh, well, you know what? I don't have money. I can't invest in real estate. And then that's the end of it. Or, you know, I'm too busy or I don't know anything about real estate. But here's, you know, 50 bucks someone just recommended. But I, I'm not going to buy one. <laughs> yeah. So I think if you take the time to actually learn about real estate and figure out what you need to do to get started, that that's just the first step right there. Yeah. Well, and if you don't have experience. If you've got time and you've got, if you've got time, then find a way to offer that time to an experienced investor that has money, right? Bring that, yeah. bring that value to them. If you've got money, find a way to bring that money to an investor who's got time and experience. And if you've yep. got an experience, find a way to bring that experience to someone who's got money and time. Yeah, right. exactly. And then as you're, if you want to get started right away, you do that. Or if you want to go by yourself, I guess, that you can learn. That's easy. The knowledge is the hard thing. You can save your money, you know, budget yourself, get on, you know, a financial freedom journey and listen to Dave Ramsey <laughs> and save. So they're all three of those are things that you can do on your own. It's not impossible that you don't have to have a partner, but you can get started faster with a partner, but you can also achieve all three of those things. I think time is the hardest thing. And I've actually been working with um, Steve Rosenberg, who's been coaching and mentoring me on, you know, making sure that my time is, you know, everyone has the same 24 hours in a day, but it's how you use them. And so he's really helping me be productive and not waste time and tracking, you know, everything I'm doing so that I do have more time to do the things that I want to focus on and learn. And then, you know, more time with my family. And yeah. he's really showing me. I do have that time. I just need to use it wisely. Yeah, it's it's something uh, Brittany and I struggle with constantly, uh, and I yeah. don't think we're all that great at managing it, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, we're both uh, we're both working full time jobs right now, and we have a son, and we're doing a podcast, yeah, and we're buying busy. real estate, and you know, it sometimes feels like we're you know, I, I see her right before we fall asleep at night, and I'm like, good night, good luck, right. you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so. So if you could hit a magic reset button and go back and beginning your investing journey over again with what you know now, is there anything that you would have done differently? 
Hmm, that's a good question. I think that, so I bought three duplexes and then I took a break for a year where we built our own house. So what I would have done was I would have stayed in our old house longer um, that was already paid off and invested more and bought more rentals instead of building our house and waited uh, to build our house. That's what I would have done. Or I would have like even done some sort of house hacking. It, was kind, it would have been kind of hard to do, but I guess we could have rented out a bedroom, but my husband needs to stay on the farm. So we never could have really gone and bought a duplex and yeah. lived there or whatever, but maybe we could have built the duplex instead. But Cows don't milk dead. themselves, do they? Yeah. Yeah. So that's the, the thing I could think of is we would have put off building our house and um, lived in, you know, a paid off house longer. Gotcha. Gotcha. And what advice would you have for someone? And maybe this is redundant. What advice would you have for someone who's looking to get into, let's say, property management? you'll cry a lot, (laughs) (laughs) but you really have to develop tough skin. And there's a great book out there. It's called hug your haters because no matter what you do, property management is very customer service to the owners and the tenants. And I was very lucky. The investor I worked for was you control everything. You do everything. And you know, I, I wasn't, he didn't oversee me at all. I, I just did everything. And so I didn't really have to worry about like keeping him happy. He was happy as long as the cash flow kept coming. But, um, for the tenants, I, um, it was, it was very difficult for me at first, but this book, hug your haters, it just taught, it's a lot about, uh, customer service and just kill, kill people with kindness basically. And so it, it took me a while to develop that. And I, I definitely have grown into a better person because of it, more patient, more professional. It definitely took a while to get there. I would become easily frustrated and I would get upset when, you know, a resident was, you know, mad at me or upset with me or unhappy with living there. You know, it reflected directly on me because I was managing this building myself. And it, it really got at me for a long time until, um, you know, I kind of, but, you know, I kind of separated myself from it more like just I am going to do whatever I can for you and just like, you know, really kill them with kindness and not let it get to me as much. And I just tried to be more understanding as to, you know, they're living there. This is their home and stuff like that. So it took me a while to work on that, like the personal interactions with the tenants took me a long well, time it, to develop. And it's hard because people, people are complicated. And mm-hmm. not everybody is not as not everyone is as good as managing money as, as we are. Yeah. And everyone is fighting a battle that we know nothing about, but you still have a business right. to run and, yeah. you know, and tenants, people who are bad with money are, are usually have gotten really good at, at explaining why they can't pay for something. Right. Yeah. Uh, that's a and, great point. And yeah. I'm sure you have to, as a property manager, you have to learn to be empathetic, but also yeah. Also very strong and firm. And this is right. what, this is what needs to happen. Yeah. Otherwise you got to move. So, yeah, I learned a lot to blame things on the lease. Like, yeah. oh, I'm sorry. It says in the lease. <laughs> well, and, <laughs> no a, control. <laughs> and a lawyer would probably tell you good answer. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, well, Ashley, thank you so much for sharing with our audience today. If any of them want to reach out to you and learn more about you, where would be the best place for they can do that? They can find me on the Bigger Pockets forums. Um, I have an account, a membership on there. And then also on Instagram, I am at Wealth from Rentals. 
And uh, every Wednesday, starting um, in March, you can hear me uh, co-host on the Bigger Pockets Real Estate Rookie Podcast. Oh, good for you! Thank awesome, you. yeah, awesome, very good for you. So, all right. Well, thank you so much for being a part of our show today. Thank you very much for having me. Okay, that was Ashley Care from Wealth from Rentals on Instagram. I highly, highly recommend that you spend the time and go check out her feed on Instagram. It's very entertaining and very educational, and you really get a feel for a lot of the nuts and bolts of uh, managing a small multifamily portfolio. Highly recommend it. So for me, what was the uh, key lesson learned from this? I would say that you need to figure out what it is that you have, what it is that you're good at that you can bring to the table for real estate investing. You know, she talked about time, money, or experience. Well, if you've got time, but you've got no money and and no experience, then find a way to bring that to an investor who's got money and experience. If you have money, figure out a way to bring that to someone who's got time and experience. And if you've got experience, find a way to bring that to the table for somebody who's got money and time. So uh, I love that advice. Uh, I'm not sure we, we talk a lot about that, but I'm not sure we've ever had it spelled out quite so well as that. So listen to that again, what she said. It's great. The key piece of knowledge that she needed to acquire to be successful, I think she said it was customer service when it comes to managing tenants. Uh, and she brought up the book, Hug Your Haters, which I recommend. We'll put that in the show notes. But the idea that you Tenants are complicated and a lot of them are not the best at managing money and they're going to complain. They're going to do things that annoy you and, but you need to keep your head about you and you need to find a way to answer the same question the same way every time. And she talked about pointing to the lease. I'm sorry, we can't do that. It's not in the lease. And that's very important. Lawyers, a real estate lawyer is going to tell you, yes, that's the right answer. Because you don't want to get into a situation where you give one tenant something and then you that tenant turns around and tells that tenant, oh, they gave me that when I didn't pay. And then they come and you just get into this death spiral. So how much money did it take her to get started? It didn't take her any money because she brought her time and experience to an investor who had money. And she was able to get into that deal for no money down. Uh, love that strategy. How much time does she spend on her real estate endeavors now that it's up and running? You know, it, it's a little bit strange because literally two weeks ago, she handed over her property management to uh, a third party manager, but it sounds like she was doing about 20 hours a week. I would say, I would say 20 to 40 hours a week because she was managing her own portfolio plus the portfolio, the 80 units for the apartment complex that she was working under. But she's since handed off that to a third-party manager, and now she's sort of focused on project management for a mixed-use commercial building that she's bought. But once that's done, you know, I mean, her a lot of her time is probably going to get back to her. So, And could she do this strategy from anywhere in the world? The answer is yes, but... Two caveats. One is right now she's obviously, you know, working on a project where she can't leave that. And then two, she said, yes, back before when she was a property manager, she could work remotely from anywhere in the world because the systems that she had set up, but she did have to stay connected. She couldn't disconnect. My guess is she probably couldn't go away on a two week cruise. She could be somewhere where she had access to her phone and the internet. So we appreciate Ashley taking the time to talk to us. Check out her Instagram feed on Wealth From Rentals. And that's all this week. So let's hit the road. 
And if you like this podcast, we would really appreciate it if you take just a few minutes and leave a review for us on iTunes. It's really simple to do. Just go to roadtofamilyfreedom.com slash review for links and instructions. Thanks for listening. We're doing this all again next week. Until then, safe travels.